I want to tell you something, and that is operating a food company has been one of the most challenging endeavors of my life. From innovating products that we want to land at the intersection of taste and nutrition, to wrestling with supply chain issues and managing inventory, I have had more sleepless nights in the past three years than I have in the last 30, including the 12 when I was a firefighter. But no one tells you that food is hard. But I also want to say it's because of each of you that we continue to get in the trenches day after day after day. It's in our core values to keep at it, knowing that we are filling a giant void in the market with products that you can't find anywhere else. And this makes it easier for us to climb out of bed each day. I want to thank you for your patience. We are anxiously awaiting the return of our organic pancake and waffle mixes. And we're excited to announce that our Plant Strong milks will be available online later this week, followed soon thereafter by the return of our exciting new burger mixes. Our goal is to be your reliable and trustworthy partner for all things Plant Strong, allowing you to stock up on healthy meals that you can make and enjoy in minutes while still managing your busy lives. I appreciate each and every one of you and want you to know that the effort will be worth it once more brands start to care about the integrity of the nutrition that they're putting into their products. Thank you so much for your support and please stay tuned for exciting updates at planstrong.com. The biggest comment I get when I mimic meat in any recipe is like, yeah. why as a vegan, would you ever be doing that if you don't like the taste of meat? And I always say the majority of people who go plant-based or vegan are not going that way because they don't like the taste of meat. Mm -hmm. We're going that way for our health, for the planet and the animals. So if we can mimic these things with plants, why the heck not? Why wouldn't you go plant-based then? I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plant Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, my Plant Strong Pineapples. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to another episode of the Plant Strong Podcast. And thank you so much for making the Plant Strong Podcast a part of your weekly routine. I gotta say that you guys have no idea what kind of a razzle-dazzle treat you're in store for today. Hear me out. If you have extra banana peels at home, stop. Don't throw them away. If you have extra pickle juice in the jar, stop. Don't dump it down the sink. If you don't have a clue what to do with all those broccoli stalks, stop. Don't throw them in the compost bin. 
The same is true for chickpea juice, potato peels, and so much more. Hold on to them all. Why? Because today we're going to get scrappy with food blogger, Instagram, and TikTok megastar, and now the new author of the book, Plant You, Miss Carly Bodrug. She helps turn those scraps into simple, delicious, and nutritious foods that people will gobble up. Carly is a plant-strong ball of light, raised in Ontario, Canada, on a small family farm that was filled with horses, chickens, and other assorted pets. Like so many of us, she was raised on the standard Western diet, loaded with meat, dairy, and lots of processed and refined foods. All of that changed, however, when her father, a fire captain, was diagnosed with colon cancer. This feisty young woman who couldn't cook a lick took it upon herself to start experimenting with plants. Her goal? Make this lifestyle approachable, easy to follow, and super fun. Her new book, Plant You, includes not just photos of the gorgeous finished recipes, but also photos of every ingredient she'll need for those recipes, making it so visually easy to follow and appealing. You know what else I love? It features over 140 recipes that are not only plant-strong, but also oil-free, my plant-strong friends. Mm, Talk to me, Carly. My family and I are having a ball digging through some of these recipes. I know you will too. So please welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast, Carly Bodrug. Boy, Carly, you are doing really amazing things in the plant-based space, and it is an absolute thrill and honor to have you on the podcast. So thanks for joining us today. Well, it is the biggest honor to be here. I mean, you were one of the trailblazers that really inspired my plant-based journey. So this is a full circle moment for me today. Yeah. So uh, tell me, you've got a lot of exciting things going on um, this week. One of them is you're launching your new book, this baby. Uh, It's right behind you. And I actually have it right here. It's called Plant You, right? Exactly. Plant You. Yeah. Yeah. What what can you tell me about Plant You? So Plant You is the cookbook that I wish I had when I went plant-based six years ago. It's a cookbook full of 140 whole food plant-based oil-free recipes that are as easy as can be. I am having a lot of imposter syndrome this week thinking that I'm putting out a cookbook when before I went plant-based, there was no culinary experience. But I think that could add to the magic of the recipes because they are truly the simplest hopefully most accessible plant-based recipes that you're going to find and uh, really used with simple whole food plant-based ingredients. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about some of the recipes you have in here. I also want to talk about, you know, you have become quite the phenomenon on both TikTok and Instagram. You've got over 1.6 million followers on TikTok. Really, you're, you're nudging up right to a million on Instagram uh, how long have you like had both these social media platforms? 
So it's interesting. I started Instagram probably around that 2016, 2017 time after going plant-based and was really felt called to from my soul to talk about this. And uh, TikTok wasn't until last year. So isn't that crazy that the TikTok platform is now larger than the Instagram platform? But I guess that happens when you're kind of like an early adopter on there. And really, they've both just grown really organically. The Instagram page, interestingly, you've seen the book and all of these kind of infographic recipes. And what I mean by that is that the recipes all all have a photo, but then have images of all the individual ingredients that go into them on top of the dish. So basically my Instagram following and account started with this concept and people just really loved the ease and visual accessibility of the recipes. And it grew over time on that concept. And it was the basis of my book proposal. So it's, it's weird because I'm putting out this book now, but it's really the, kind of foundational elements that my Instagram account first grew on. Yeah. Uh, So having like being it, having it be this visual, which is just like, I mean, when I'm just amazed, has anybody else ever done this with the ingredients that you know of? Not that I know of. And uh, I remember when I first wrote the book proposal that I was trying to like make it like regular cookbook, like in just full scale images of the food. And it just struck me one day, like, why am I trying so hard to meld myself into this kind of typical cookbook when this infographic concepts, people seem to really like it and they, they find it, uh, appealing. And I think what it is about it is like, you look at the dish and a dish can seem like it's going to be really complex and hard to make. But when you see the actual individual ingredients that are going to go into it, it breaks it down. It makes it seem like anybody can do it, which is the Mm -hmm. whole goal. I couldn't agree with you more. And when I'm looking at these recipes, I just, I immediately look at the different ingredients and then that kind of helps inform me, of course, along with the, the photo of the dish, you know, what do I want to create from this, this recipe book? Um, I just can't believe nobody else has thought to do this with a recipe book where food is like so visual, right? It makes so much sense. There's got to be someone out there who has done it, but not in, not in my knowledge. And you know what the photo, I was a crazy person. I went out and bought a camera the day I signed the book proposal and I photographed every recipe in the book, but those individual ingredients to photograph (laughs) were not fun. (laughs) So, but I, I'm so glad to hear because like, this is what everybody is talking about is the visual element of it. So it makes it so, so worth it. Yeah. Just when you think that, you know, nothing new can (laughs) come to the the cookbook world, especially the plant-based cookbook world, all of a sudden here comes, you know, the, the, the sassy, the creative, and um, scrappy, you know, Carly, right to the rescue. It's really, it's really remarkable. So, yeah, the TikTok, one point six million followers, and and Instagram a million. So obviously, and I've extensively over the weekend and this morning looked at lots of your posts, and you've done a phenomenal job because not only do you capture whatever it is you're trying to create or what you're trying to tell people, don't throw away your banana peels, right? (laughs) But you also have 
great narration. It's very, you know, short and sweet. And then you also have this typically very appropriate music in the background as well. Yeah. Do right? <laughs> you got the whole package? That's super kind of you. I will say I went to school for broadcast journalism, so I'm sure that has aided in my ability to at least narrate the the videos. But it's just crazy to think about. Like, I never thought when I was creating content years ago that I would be creating videos on a weekly, if not almost daily basis. But here we are. And I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's so such a privilege, really, to have the community that I do and people kind of invested in wanting to learn about plant-based cooking and showing up day after day for more recipes. It's like the best thing ever. Well, and it's obvious that you are having a lot of fun. You know, you're a great educator. You're creative. As I said, you know, you're you're super scrappy and, um, and people, obviously they love you for it. Right. I mean, and plus you're Canadian and I want you to know, I love Canadians. Some of my best friends are Canadians. They just have a certain, to me, a certain modesty and way about them. Um, that is beautiful. Um, and you're, you, you're from Ontario, right? From Ontario, born and raised (laughs) and still here. It's cold out right now. Not very nice, but I won't complain. (laughs) So I'd I'd love, before we like dive into some of your stuff, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background because when we first were emailing back and forth, you told me that your father was a fire captain. Yeah, I think he was actually a sergeant when he retired. I don't know. I I asked, I shot him a message after. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm emailing with Rick Bestine. I told him you were a fire captain. That's not what he was. He was like, he was higher than that in the ranks. But anyways, yeah, he he was like, ooh. But um, so my dad was a firefighter and uh, I grew up actually on a hobby farm in Ontario, Canada. So grew up, we had chickens, horses all sorts of animals always coming in and out of the house. My parents are the biggest animal lovers you could know. And when I was 11, my dad was diagnosed with stage two colon Mm. cancer. And uh, like many people, my dad was like my hero and it was very traumatic. So he had the full surgery, chemotherapy. But the sad part about it is after that, we just continued eating the meat and dairy products Full on. Uh, at the time, the Canada Food Guide had meat and dairy both as their own individual sections. So my parents were really doing the best they could in terms of uh, thinking that they're feeding both themselves and us as kids a healthy diet. And then I remember in 2015, the World Health Organization announced that group uh, red and processed meat were now classed as group two and group one carcinogens. And okay. What I remember most about when that news broke was my dad was actually angry because it was like he had had this super invasive surgery and chemotherapy and then gone back to eating the very thing that at least was not helping the situation, right? And then I always say, when you first go plant-based, it's like opening up Pandora's box. We watched the documentaries, Forks Over Knives, uh, What the Health, uh, read the books, Eat to Live, uh, How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. And really, I remember just being like, especially in Ontario, Canada, where there wasn't a prevalent plant-based community or vegan community. I remember thinking, why isn't anybody talking about this? Because from a baseline perspective, it was 
obvious to me that eating a whole food plant-based diet, which is just incredible for our health, but also the environmental aspect and the animal aspect. I'm like, it's like, I always say to people, it's like a win, win, win on every level. (laughs) So I felt, yeah, I felt so called to talk about it, uh, but I didn't know how to cook. So (laughs) it was like, I remember searching the word vegan on Pinterest and all of these like bowls coming up that were like spiralized zucchini and carved avocados and stuff and thinking, well, that looks good, but I don't know if I can eat that way coming from this kind of small town Ontario farm. So I started by just kind of veganizing the food that I had grown up eating. So like a good example would be actually in my cookbook is my mom's like vegan bolognese, which like my mom had beef bolognese pasta sauce every week. I I can smell it still like when I came home from school. So I started by veganizing these recipes and I guess being a, from a journalism background, I started just kind of recording it like Mm. on the blog and on Instagram and people resonated with it. And what do you know? I mean, six years later or seven years later, I'm sitting across from you, which is really the most wild thing. So (laughs) it's just crazy. It's been a wild ride. And like I said, I just feel really, really grateful to have the platform I do and to be able to talk about this every day, because I think it is just so important. Yeah. Since you started this in 2015, your, your mom and dad along for the ride as well? Yeah. So they both went plant-based with me. I say plant-based as in like, they will occasionally have seafood if they go out for dinner, but they're primarily plant-based. So incredible. My dad has been cancer-free. Um, knocking wood right now. And uh, my mom in great health as well. So I was super lucky in that I was supported on that journey because I think a lot of people are going it alone. And the social aspect, I always say to people, the social aspect is the hardest, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a way, because I wasn't doing it completely by myself, that was a little easier to swallow. Like you didn't have to explain as much if your parents were going the same route. No, it's great. It's great to have family on board, especially when you're diving into this. And you've also got your, is it your fiance? Yes. So my fiance, I've been with him for 10 years, actually like this month. And uh, he was big, same as me, big meat eaters, big six foot five guy, hugely into sports. And I remember he was the most taken aback when I told him I was going vegan. Cause I think for people, it takes a lot to wrap their head around how um, you're going to operate in terms of like people connect over food, right? Like our favorite food before this was like a steak and a baked potato. So like, where do we go from here? I was super (laughs) lucky that uh, after cooking him, I'm the primary cook in the house, obviously. (laughs) After cooking a lot of plant-based food for him, he slowly transitioned to, again, like a 99.9% plant-based lifestyle and actually ran his first half Ironman this summer Mm. and talks about how, much better he has felt uh, after transitioning to a plant-based lifestyle in terms of inflammation and speed and being able, you know, an Ironman, it's like, you've got to be able to do long lasting uh, running and biking. So 
I've been, I mean, I've converted a lot of people along the way. <laughs> and I always say uh, it's Nimai Delgado, who I think probably was one of the first to use the words attractivism. But I always say like, you can't force it down people's throat. You kind of have to just lead by example. So mm. I try to talk as positively as possible about how many benefits that I've personally experienced from going plant-based rather than kind of shaming or dampering on people's uh, food because food is emotional and nostalgic as you know. No, it's always better to take the high road like that. It's much more attractive. I like that term attractivism. That's good Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, So I'd love to just throw out a couple things that you have done either on Instagram or TikTok or with your book and have you share with our audience, like how to get scrappy with it or how to just, just whatever comes to your mind. So let me throw out, I'll start with ginger. And you say, you know, if you got ginger, don't throw it away. So how do you get scrappy with ginger? So this scrappy cooking concept was all born by this desire to kind of like reduce food waste within our own homes and also reduce the amount of money wasted. And I think something like 40 to 50% of edible food in North America goes to waste. So it's a huge issue. And I think a lot of people are going aimlessly to the grocery store each week with really good intentions and buying a lot of fresh produce that ends up in the garbage. So I've actually done 38 episodes of this. And ginger was one of my most recent ones because you buy like a big thing of ginger and maybe you have like one recipe, like a stir fry with ginger in it. And then you don't know how to use the rest up. I really love to blend ginger with water and lemon juice, about three cups of water and a thumb of ginger with lemon juice, and then pour it into an ice cube tray. And it makes the most glorious like ginger lemon ice cubes that are incredible in just your water in the morning. If people like lemon water, it's like adds a whole other level. And then also in tea, like it's so good. Or you can have like a cold tea or a warm tea with these as well. So there are all these like, I I think I've done like 39 episodes now and it's definitely my most popular series. Oh yeah. It's fun. It's definitely fun. (laughs) I want, we're definitely going to talk about some of these. Do you have a a method for taking the outside off of the ginger or do you just use the whole thing? So I used a potato peeler and only because I found when I blended the ginger with the skin on, it just didn't have the same kind of consistency that it did. If you peeled it, you don't have to peel it though. Um, but people were all telling me in the comments that you should use the back of the spoon to peel ginger because you waste a lot less. Like apparently the skin on ginger is super thin, so you can just use like the back of the spoon. Although I haven't tried it myself. I was in with the potato peeler and they were all telling me that I did it wrong. (laughs) I I use the potato peeler myself. Um, so what about, let's get scrappy again. What about, um, so one of the things that I know I hate is when I pull out like spinach or some other leafy green and it's like wilted, it's a little bit slimy. Should we throw it away or should we stop? Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is one of those things that like, I swear everybody has a well-intentioned box of spinach that is like dying at the back of their fridge. It happens yeah. to the best of us, right? So if you open up that box of spinach and you're like, Ooh, it's not fresh enough that I want to put this in a beautiful, fresh whole food salad right now. The best way to take care of it is to throw it in your blender with a little plant-based milk. You can even add like something like a half an avocado to make it even creamier, Mm. blend it up again, pour it in an ice cube tray. And I call these smooth smoothie cubes because they're 
this incredible way to like add nutrition to your smoothies in like one simple bomb. So then you take them out of the fridge whenever you're making a quick smoothie, maybe you have like banana and plant-based milk and some chia seeds in a blender, throw in those smoothie bombs and you're good to go. And I promise you will not taste like the wiltiness of the spinach after it's been frozen. Can't really taste spinach in smoothies in my experience anyway. So it's a really neutral green to do this with. You can also do it with kale and stuff but you have to be a green smoothie fan then which i am part of that club but i don't know how many people are yeah yeah so one of the things that i don't like them but my wife and my youngest daughter do and that's pickles and so we always go through the pickles and then we're left with all this pickle juice so you say stop don't throw out the pickle juice what do we do with it Pickle juice is incredible. I think I've done two episodes utilizing pickle juice for different things. One of them was marinating tofu and making like a pickle sandwich, like a almost like a fried, it's not fried, but it was like marinated in pickle juice, then breaded and air fried. And it made like the best sandwich. And I heard a lot of people who tried it after, and I haven't tried this, but like said, it was a lot like the Chick-fil-A, like chicken sandwich because I guess they have pickles on it. So definitely this pickle brine. Oh, I most recently made dill pickle chip soup. I called it dill pickle chip soup because it literally to me tasted like dill pickle chips in a bowl from what I remember of them. And it was just using like half a cup of that pickle brine left over in like a potato soup. And I actually used the foundational recipe was a potato leek soup that I have in mm. my cookbook. Mm-hmm. Cause it's super simple. Like you literally just need, I think Yukon gold potatoes, a little bit of plant milk, vegetable broth, some spices, and you're good to go with a beautiful potato soup, but then add that pickle juice and it mm-hmm. brings it over the edge and then some fresh dill on top. How, how did you get so creative with it, with everything? Are you, are you just by nature that way? Or did you, have you read a lot or like, what have you done to become so adept at, you know, creating these recipes and, and doing your, you know, your scrappy stuff? I think as a, like as a human being, I am very (laughs) naturally curious and then creative as a default. But with that comes like a very scattered brain and disorganization. So I will not say it's like all great (laughs) over here, but I like, when I say like, I love making these videos and making up recipes and experimenting in the kitchen, like I'm obsessed with it. I don't even see it as work. I just find it so much fun. And I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be cooking for a living. Like I still am a very shocked, but uh, it kind of itches all of the little things in my yeah. brain. Like <laughs> from, yeah. From, that's, that's really, that's so, listen, that's so exciting. And I'm, I'm so happy for you that you figured out a way to itch, itch all those cravings that are, that are inside you. I'm coming back to the pickle juice for a second. Does Jesse ever drink the the pickle juice? Because supposedly it's good for athletes to help from cramping. Yeah, he has. But you know what? I had a, a health 
doctor, a heart doctor do at my video on TikTok. And he's like, be careful drinking pickle juice because of the sodium, which mm. I know you talk about a lot, but right. there's a lot of sodium in pickle juice. So like if you're making something like a dill pickle chip soup, like a quarter of a cup throughout the whole soup, you're not going to need to add salt to the soup. That's for sure. But yeah, yeah. drinking it, maybe if you're an athlete, as an average human, the amount of people who were like, I drink the juice. I'm like, wow, like you're getting a, a big shot of sodium in there for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, a lot of these athletes though, they, they don't mind that. And in, in fact, if you're doing half Ironmans or even Ironmans, a lot of them are taking salt tablets because they lose. Right, so, yeah. so, so I think it's okay for, for Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what about, um, you have a whole chapter in your book about eating cookies for breakfast. Are you serious? Are we allowed to do that? <laughs> okay, so I'm sure you've experienced this yourself. Like every doctor I have ever talked to or interviewed in the plant-based space starts their morning with oatmeal. So I call these like my portable oatmeal. Just like a little more fun than like your average bowl of oatmeal because they have all of the same ingredients as like a bowl of oatmeal, just in cookie form, depending mm -hmm. on which one you make. So I have four different breakfast cookies in the book. One of them is pumpkin. One of them is like zucchini bread. One of them is called banana bread. And then you have a, you have a chocolate chip banana yeah. bread that I specifically am going to make. Oh, they're so good. And they're so easy. Like it's literally five ingredients in a bowl, yeah. mix it up, form them into cookies. You can't go wrong. So, yeah. and then you can add whatever you want, right? Like if you don't like dark chocolate chips, right. I don't know who that person is, but if you, maybe you can't eat them from your diet, you could add dried cranberries or goji berries or something. So they're really versatile in that way. And they're portable. Great to just grab and go if you're heading to work. Yeah. And then also in the, in the uh, breakfast section, you also have a whole section on overnight oats and you have midnight chocolate cherry that totally spoke to me. You're a chocolate lover, eh? Oh, big time. Big time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Death by chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love chocolate too, but yeah, I think I have like eight different overnight oat recipes. I uh -huh. mean, they're so versatile. And again, like I think one of the biggest keys to having success with a healthy plant-based lifestyle is preparation. And I always say, if somebody's going to start meal prepping overnight oats is one of those great meals to start with, because you can literally lay out four jars on your counter and mm -hmm. have four, four servings of overnight oats done in under five minutes, all different kinds of combinations. If you want them and in your fridge, you've got breakfast for the week in way less time than it would take you to drive through the drive-through in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And they look so delicious and, and, and healthy and satiating. And you know, what a great way to start the morning. You know, speaking of chocolate, another thing that caught my eye, this might've been in your Instagram feed is you took bananas that, you know, had a fair amount of spots on them. You cut them open, you put dark chocolate chips inside of them, you wrap them up in uh, aluminum or tin foil and put them on the fire. I mean, is this like the healthiest uh, s'mores ever or what? <laughs> oh, so good. We call them <laughs> banana boats. They're like so good. You can, so you basically, if you're at a campfire, it's like such an incredible, exactly like a s'mores is you literally just slice the banana open and stuff it with whatever you want. Yeah. Chocolate chips are incredible. A little peanut butter maybe, and then wrap those up and it creates like a tent and like really high heat. Whoa. And it, you know, when a banana heats up, it caramelizes, right? So it's just incredible. So, so good. Mm, I can't wait to do that. Really can't wait. To do <laughs> this weekend, this weekend with my kids, we're going to do banana boats. So speaking of like getting scrappy 
you do something where you turn banana peels into like banana jerky or something. Bacon. Yeah. Bacon, banana banana banana. Bacon. Are you serious? You can actually <laughs> eat banana peels. Never- 100%. Like Is as it a- good. Yeah. Like as bacon for sure. Banana peels. Like if you put them in a little soy sauce, uh, you can use liquid smoke or not a little maple syrup. Uh, I think it's cumin and you marinate them and then put them in the air fryer. Unbelievable. Like they come out like crispy bacon, but I always say to people like banana peels is that it seems to be the limit for a lot of people, which I get, I feel like uh, naturally our mind is like, I don't want to eat a banana peel. Uh, they're great to compost as well. Like banana peels make excellent fertilizer. So keep mm. them around. You can even soak banana peels in water and then use that to, uh, feed your plants inside. So, so many versatile uses for them. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, versatility, you also, uh, tell people to stop, don't throw out the potato skins. <laughs> What do we do with these potato skins? As you and I know, uh, potato skins are the roughage, right? Like they have so much fiber. So as a baseline, I typically don't peel my potatoes unless I'm making like mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, where I know the potato peels are not going to be appreciated. And uh, if you're doing that and you're peeling your potatoes for whatever reason, definitely do not throw them out. This is one of my favorite scrappy recipes. Mm. All you have to do is toss them in a few of your favorite spices. I really like nutritional yeast, a little bit of uh, dried parsley put them again in the oven or air fryer. You need like literally eight minutes and they're going to come out like crispy potato skins. It's like the best snack, high in fiber and delicious. Yum. Uh, what about, when was the last time you went foraging for puff mushrooms? You went really down on the feed. It's making me self-conscious. I'm like, what else did you find on there? Oh, <laughs> don't worry. If we go too deep, we can always cut it. <laughs> um, so yes, like I saw that puff people were finding puffball mushrooms in Ontario on TikTok. I, th- I and think. Just, and just to stop for a sec, I want you to know that like growing up, my mother, we would find a puffball mushroom that's the size of a basketball. And my mom would say, oh, we have to take this home and eat it. I'm like, no, God, really? And it wasn't until I saw your puffball mushroom recipe that I was like, that actually looks really good. Yeah. This to the, this day is the most like viral recipe on my page. I think it got like 6 million or 8 million views, but basically I saw people were finding these puffball mushrooms. I had never seen one in my life. And this is kind of a really funny story because I called up my dad, who's like all into this stuff right there with me. And I'm like, we need to find a puffball mushroom because I'm dying to recipe create with it. And for any, like, I don't even know how to describe the visual of a puffball mushroom, but it literally looks like a rock sitting in a field. Like it's like a huge white mountainous thing. So my dad and I go foraging for like three hours. We're looking for puffball mushrooms and we do not find a thing. We're knees are covered in mud, the whole, like just tired. Can't believe I didn't find one. I see all these people on TikTok finding them. We're literally heading to the car. I look to my right and there is a sunbeam in this forest (laughs) on two huge puffball mushrooms. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever experienced. Went up, they were literally, I said in the video, puffball perfection. Mm -hmm. Like, so then we took the puffballs home. 
and got to work, like we tested a whole bunch of different recipes. And the best was uh, actually breading in a little bit of panko and then uh, baking and then tossing in a bit of hot sauce. Oh my goodness. So Mm -hmm. good. Great meat substitute. And then my dad was testing them. He has a bunch of it frozen, but he was testing it as a egg scramble replacement. I don't know how I never tried it, but he was saying it was unbelievable sending me pictures. And uh, so I just love that stuff. I love it. I don't Mm -hmm. know why, Mm -hmm. but it was so much fun. Well, yeah, well, it's fun. It's exciting. You're hunting for your food. You're trying to find a particular, you know, species of mushroom that, you know, it's pretty unique. Not everybody's had the, 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 I, I, the luck of finding a puffball mushroom and I don't know how rare they are, but wow, they are, they're wild. They are yeah, wild. It's weird to see them. And it's like, I know a lot of people were saying that growing up, they used to kick them. And what will happen if you kick them is they'll like literally puff up. I think that's maybe where the name comes from, but they'll like evaporate into the air with smoke. Right, we never right. did that obviously, because we wanted to eat it, yeah. but it's just crazy. Yeah, we'll have to check out and see if Derek Sarnow has uh, <laughs> yeah. had any experience with the puffball mushroom. So speaking of um, kind of like a, a pseudo a pseudo like vegan meat, you do a um, a vegan roast. Yeah. What what can you tell me about your vegan roast? Because uh, it looks amazing. Do you use like soy protein isolates or anything like that, or what do you it, use as your the it. That one specifically is vital wheat gluten and chickpeas. So, and I believe I also have beet juice in it, which is what creates Mm -hmm. the beautiful red roast color when you're cutting it up. And oh my goodness, I'll tell you, like, it is just incredible what we can do with plants in terms of mimicking meat if you want them, which I think for a lot of people is a big barrier to access when you're going plant-based, but this specific roast. uh, So you blend up chickpeas, vital wheat gluten, a little bit of vegetable broth, mix it up, and then you steam it. So vital wheat gluten typically or seitan needs to be steamed. So then you steam it. And then I wrapped it in tinfoil and put it in the fridge overnight. And then I took it out and I actually like added some um, coffee grounds to the outside, made it look look very much like a meaty roast, reheated it again. And it just was beautiful and tasted beautiful too. Like just so meaty in texture and flavor. And the comments were a bit brutal on that one because the biggest comment I get when I mimic meat in any recipe is like, why as a vegan, would you ever be doing that if you don't like the taste of meat? And I would say the majority of people who go plant-based or vegan are not going that way because they don't like the taste of meat. Mm -hmm. We're going that way for our health, for the planet and the animals. So if we can mimic these things with plants, why the heck not? Why wouldn't you go plant-based then? So that's my whole kind of, kind of thing I want to do in the plant-based space is just make it as easy as possible for people to make the foods that they grew up and loved eating in plant-based form. We'll get right back to Carly, but first I wanted to take a minute and share with you an email that um, that I received just uh, just last week. We get emails and texts and messages from people that are reaping the benefits of eating plant strong, and I just think it's important that I share with you some of the the plant strong proof that we receive all the time. 
Hi, Rip. I was at the fall 2019 Sedona immersion. I'm the father of six kids. I watched Forks Over Knives and knew my life needed a change. I had gained a ton of weight and lost the ability to run the ultra marathons that I enjoy. I have a family history of heart disease and diabetes, and I saw myself walking down my father's path. One day, I couldn't run more than a few steps with my son before I had to sit and rest. It was that day that I signed up for the immersion. When I was there, I've never felt as loved and cared for as I was by the staff, chefs, and local community. It was one of the most formative experiences of my life, and I've never felt healthier. I had consistent energy. I could hike anywhere for as long as I wanted. I made a few friends I still keep in touch with. Before the retreat, I'd never been able to get myself to eat a whole food, plant-based diet. At the immersion, I felt no lack of anything, ever. It fully convinced me that this is my path. I'd love to say I came back and changed my life, but it came in fits and starts. Culturally, it can be difficult to walk this path. I had a wife who had no interest in changing her eating habits. Well, I no longer have that wife. It's been a hard and lonely journey, but we, meaning the kids and I, have stronger relationships than ever. We've even started cooking a lot more. I floundered for a while after the separation. My diet was poor and it was mostly gas station junk food as I worked a construction job to pay the bills. I actually hit 250 pounds and something in me yelled, enough. I returned to the lifestyle and I immediately began to feel improvement. In 2021, I lost 47 pounds steadily and sustainably. I finally freed myself of a sugar addiction I had had all my life. 2022 is the year of the bear, my nickname in pickleball and trail running. I signed up for a 25K in spring and a 50-mile race in fall. Healthy food and consistent movement have been the most helpful portions of my grieving and healing. Mindfulness, therapy, massage, music, and connection with friends and family has been a part of the recipe, too. I'm not out of the darkness yet, but I move forward now with hope when mere months ago, I had none. I just wanted to share this and say how thankful I am for the experience I had at the retreat. The food? Yes, of course the food. As Dr. Clapper said, it's always been the food. But it was also the love. I felt loved at the retreat. In a marriage with unreciprocated love, I had forgotten what love and care felt like. My heart began to rise and stir that week. The work that you do is changing lives, but I wanted to add my story and gratitude to the big bowl of goodness you're creating in this lost and wonderful world. Thank you. Bless you. Hope to see you all again one day. Brandon. Brandon, I got to thank you, my plan strong brother, for remaining open, vulnerable, and willing to receive love even in the midst of all your pain. Our plan strong immersions, they are magical. Every one of our staff members will tell you that as well. And I hope that your healing and your journey to health continues. Please keep us posted on those races. Brandon, we are rooting for you. 
You know, the team and I are headed off to Black Mountain, North Carolina in just a few days for our spring retreat, but you too can experience magical transformation at our Sedona retreat this fall. It's October 10th to the 15th. We'd love to see you there. To learn more, visit planstrong.com or we'll link it up to you in the show notes. So thanks so much. Bye. I have to say you're my my plan strong sister because you are so into oil-free cooking, right? Yes. You know, bless you for that. What what got you on board with the oil-free cooking? Honestly, it was forks over knives. And then also reading uh, Dr. Michael Greger's How Not to Die and Joel Furman's uh, Eat to Live for sure. And I remember starting to cook without oil. And a lot of people will be like, how do you cook without oil? And I personally found that transition so easy. I find every recipe you find online, it's like I live off a lot of soups, curries, stir fries, as a lot of people in the plant-based world do. And any of those recipes typically start with like a glug of oil in a pan. Well, Mm. instead of a glug of oil in the pan, why don't you try vegetable broth or water? And I can guarantee the finished product of that dish is going to taste almost identical, if not identical. And you have now reduced the fat and caloric content dramatically. And I always say to people, one tablespoon of, I don't like to talk about calories too much on my channel, but it's worth noting that one tablespoon of oil is a hundred calories. And I would much rather have like one of my breakfast cookies for dessert (laughs) that are a hundred calories than literally a tablespoon of oil. So it's really, uh, I find food tastes often better without oil. I will now like, um, over the years, my kind of cooking has developed in like, if I really feel a recipe needs oil, I'll add a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. But I think as a baseline, people in North America just use oil way too much. Like it's just in every recipe you find and in every foundational of cooking. And it's, it's so unnecessary. So unnecessary. We like to say that, yeah, you know, oil is good for your car, right? But we as we as human beings, we don't need a extracted processed oil that's got almost no nutritional integrity whatsoever. Get it from the whole food. Exactly. The fiber is a huge thing too, right? Like yeah. you're you're taking the extracted oil from something like a beautiful avocado. Well, why not use the avocado? I have an avocado brownie recipe in my cookbook, which we're using that, that fat content and the beautiful nutrients intact in the avocado in the batter rather than using the extracted oil. And it's just, it's so much better for you on every level. Like you don't need to be anti-fat to enjoy oil-free cooking. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm actually finding that, uh, that recipe right now, page 266. There it is. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> goodness gracious. There's the ingredients up top. There's the brownie. Oh, that's gorgeous. See, you got me again with the chocolate. You did that on purpose, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's go back because to get to getting scrappy again. So you say, stop. Don't throw out the chickpea juice right? This is like, you say liquid gold. Aquafaba. What, what are we supposed to do with it? Oh my goodness. There's and, don't, I... and don't say vegan chocolate mousse. 
<laughs> well, there are so many, there are actually so many things you can do with aquafaba. Vegan chocolate mousse you can make. So first of all, please know that if you are like a lover of like meringue, meringue mm. pie, whichever else, and you're not plant-based yet, aquafaba is going to be your best friend because it whips up in the same way, especially if you add something like a stabilizer, like cream of tartar, and you whip it up, add a little bit of cocoa powder, maybe some maple syrup or sugar, and you've got a beautiful, fluffy chocolate mousse that you would never know comes from the water in a can of chickpeas. You can also make meringue cookies with it. You can use it. I often, often use it as like a breading base, like in place of egg whites, you know, how most breading, like whether you're breading, uh, oyster mushrooms or something, most breading starts with your, uh, your egg wash. Well, you can actually use aquafaba in place of that. It's tremendous and make like crispy mushrooms, with some breading on them. So it is, like I said, aquafaba is liquid gold. <laughs> nice. Um, stop. Don't throw out the broccoli stocks. What am I this supposed to do with them? Huh? Yes. If you're paying for broccoli every week by weight, it is ludicrous to be throwing out the stocks. They're so nutrient dense. They taste like asparagus, like truly, truly. And uh, they're easy to cook. The one thing about broccoli stocks. So I'll tell you two different ways that I like to prepare mm. them. Number one is to make a pesto. So I've actually have like a raw pesto recipe on my Instagram page where I use both carrot tops and broccoli stems. And all you have to do is as long as you have a pretty hefty blender, you chop up the broccoli stems, chop up the carrot tops, add them to a blender with a little bit of cashews, um, some broth or water and spices. And it literally makes, oh, and basil. And it literally makes the most delicious pesto. So, so, so good. It's, it's great in like a broccoli pasta salad or something like mm. that. The second way that I absolutely love to have them is you have to peel them. So you have to peel broccoli stalks. If you're going to make this second recipe with the back of the, with the back of a spoon. Not with a bag. You need the potato. You need to break out the potato peeler for this one. So you, once you peel them, then you break them up like into asparagus size stalks, kind of going on that theme. And uh, you can toss them in a little bit of panko or not at all, but toss them in your favorite spices and put them in the oven, bake them, and they make excellent broccoli stem fries. I like to call them such a great way to reduce your food waste and save money because you're the broccoli stalks are heavier than the florets. So if you're paying for them, you might as well eat them. Great advice. Uh, so you said um, broccoli, like fries. So speaking of fries, I love French fries. My kid loves French fries. You have a recipe in the book for crispy dill French fries. You know, one of the things that I have found is that it, you know, when you don't use oil, it's sometimes hard to make the fries be crispy on the outside and nice and moist on the inside. Do you have a trick for that? Yeah. So there's a couple of tricks that you can use to make uh, crispy French fries, but the biggest one is like your selection of potatoes. I really like russet potatoes. Mm. And if you bake them long enough and toss them in like select spices, they really will crisp up beautifully. The other thing you can do is actually, um, I love this trick of boiling them in water and a little bit of uh, baking soda, I think it is. And it tenderizes the inside of the French fry or the potato. And then you can kind of shake them to get uh, 
get them mushy on the inside and then put them in the oven and they'll crisp up beautifully as well. So it's about patience more than ever anything, but fries get a bad rap, but you can have like a beautiful massive bowl of French fries. And if you don't add oil to those, uh, calorically speaking and nutrient density, they're an incredible dinner snack or that complement to a beautiful dinner. Yeah. About 350 calories a pound, as opposed to, you know, 2000. So mm-hmm. like almost 8X, 8X difference, nutty. Uh, let me see what else I want you. Okay, here, <laughs> stop throwing away the date seeds. What yes. am I supposed to do with date seeds? Are you serious? Oh, I love this. So date seeds are incredible. And if you buy like medjool dates, which we do all the time, and often they'll be intact. So they'll have the seed in them. You can actually save those seeds and make date seed coffee, which is crazy. Yeah. So it doesn't have caffeine in it, but it had, um, it tastes a lot kind of like I say a cross between a tea and a coffee, beautiful, beautiful drink. And it's, um, originated in the middle East actually, because when I posted it, a lot of people were commenting that they regularly drink date seed coffee. And then I actually had some date seed coffee companies reach out to me offering to send some date seed coffee, but basically it's super easy. You just roast the seeds like you would coffee beans. And then if you have a coffee grinder, you grind them up and then you make your coffee, your date seed coffee, however you would normally make your coffee in the morning. And what some people even like to do is um, mix the coffee, the date seeds with half of the amount of coffee. If they're wanting to reduce their caffeine mm-hmm. consumption. And you wouldn't notice the difference because that uh, date sea coffee mm-hmm. really has that complement to a typical cup of coffee. Nice. Nice. I never heard of date seed coffee before. That was like wild. But tell me this. So when Carly and Jesse are like, oh, we just can't cook anymore. We're just done cooking. Where do you like to go out to eat anywhere in Ontario that kind of rings your bell? Um, so I always say to people, like, I like to eat Thai and Indian food. And these are the restaurants that I kind of like the cuisines that I discovered after going plant-based because you can go to any restaurant, main street restaurant in Ontario and find like a beyond burger on the menu, but to get really delicious plant-based food, in my opinion, it's these ethnic restaurants that are just incredible. Like there's nothing I love more than Thai red curry. So like, that's my go-to. Um, we have this great restaurant in Barrie, Ontario called uh, Chow Paya. That's a Thai restaurant. And like, oftentimes what you'll find at these restaurants is they'll have beautiful like stir fries and stuff where you have the option of getting either vegetables, tofu, uh, shrimp, chicken, or beef. And like that allows you to choose. And in my experience, even the oil that they can, they can reduce if you ask them to. So those are my suggestions. Like I think ethnic food is a way to go if you are wanting to eat out on a plant-based diet. Yeah. All right. I'm going to dive into, let's just say I'm a, I'm getting into plant-based. I am going to buy your book because I want to go through from start to finish and make every recipe, all 140 of these. Are there any instruments or tools that I really need to have in the kitchen that are essential? And what are those? So you definitely want your typical, like a nice soup pot and pan. I would say one chef's knife is good. That's like kind of your main thing that you need. And 
I would say a blender, a blender, if you can, like a high power blender, even the bullets, like those small bullets do an incredible job of making sauces and stuff. Because if you're eating a whole food plant-based lifestyle, oftentimes you'll want to create your own kind of like cream sauces, maybe out of cashews or even potatoes and carrots that you want to blend up. An immersion blender could do the trick, but the blender, the pot, the pan, an oven, some sheet pans. If you're wanting to do oil-free cooking, silicone baking sheets are amazing as well as parchment paper. And that should pretty much get you by. Whatever. I've heard you mention a couple of times an air fryer. Is that something that's important? I don't have one. <clears throat> I really like my air fryer. Mm. I don't know. It's not like a must have by any means. I just got one this year actually. Mm. And what I find it does is it just like we were talking about French fries earlier, like you put the potatoes in the air fryer with no oil. It's incredible what it can do for some reason. I don't know the technology behind this. I guess it's kind of similar to a convection oven, but it, uh, it crisps things up very nicely. So that if you have an air fryer is an incredible tool in your whole food, plant-based oil-free kitchen. That's for sure. Mm. So, uh, Carly, I have three kids seven, 12 and 14, they love tofu, like love it. You have a favorite tofu recipe that you would recommend. And I, I, like, I saw you like grating tofu. You're like, I don't know if this is going to work. Let's see what happens. And it looked like it actually worked pretty well, but, um, you know, we play with tofu all the time. We sometimes freeze tofu. It completely changes the texture of it. So I'd love to hear what is one of your favorite tofu recipes. So this is actually a recipe on my blog. So anybody can make it. It's called uh, vegan baked feta pasta. And this was actually feta pasta went super viral on Instagram and TikTok last year. And it was basically the concept was a block of feta in the middle of the dish, cherry tomatoes and some basil baked. And then people would add like pasta to it and make this like beautiful dish that like everybody was salivating over. So I saw it and I'm like, I think I can do this with tofu. So I basically uh, added tofu to a blender with some nutritional yeast, apple cider vinegar, some for some of that tang, uh, maybe some dried parsley and blended it up, put it in the middle of the dish with some cherry tomatoes, pop that in the oven, set a little prayer. I cooked up some whole wheat uh, penne, I think, and then mixed it up. Oh my goodness, to die for. And to this day, I get messages about this dish every day from people who say they have made it for their non-plant-based family members and just mm. like went crazy over it. So it's definitely like a tofu comfort dish, but tofu can be used in so many different ways. I have a salad dressing in my book, a uh, ranch salad dressing that I pour over like kale and have like crispy chickpeas in the salad. And uh, it's made of silken tofu. And when you blend that up, it's pretty incredible how creamy and beautiful of a dressing, like almost rem reminiscent of a Caesar. And you got to think that's like very high in protein too, <laughs> especially in comparison to like your typical ranch or Caesar dressings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, um, you had no thoughts of writing a cookbook. Am I correct? Until, until somebody, Wendy Sherman, basically uh, in August of 2019, basically sent you a message saying, Hey, have you ever thought about a cookbook? Is that right? Or no? Okay. So this is a funny story. Uh, Dr. Wilball Switz, Dr. B who yeah. wrote the forward for my cookbook uh, just before that. So this was in, I guess, around 2019. Uh, 
I was following him on Instagram and was such a huge fan of his work really felt like, especially with my dad, um, being a colon cancer survivor really felt inclined to like share his page as much as possible, because I felt like the information he was sharing and is still sharing is just critical to people's health. And, uh, we kind of became fast friends online and he messaged me one day and was actually like, uh, when's a cookbook coming out? And I was like, a cookbook? I had never thought about that in my life. So he actually was so generous, I, which it seems to be among the people I'm meeting in the plant-based community, like yourself, called me up and uh, told me about the whole publishing process. And I got off that call and said, you know what? Like, I, I guess I could write a cookbook. Never in my kind of wildest dreams did I think I could. Three days later, I had Wendy Sherman, who you just called out, message me on Instagram and say, have you ever thought about writing a cookbook? It was the weirdest thing. And she has, you know, how important literary agents are to the process, but she has been literally like my guiding light through this process, but it was Dr. B who like really initiated the process. And then she kind of, um, got things going for me. Wow. It kind of reminds me of your puffball story, the puffball yeah. perfection and these weird things. Yeah. And then Will, Will, and then Wendy, you know, it's kind of like another light came right down at the perfect time. Wow. Incredible. Um, and, you know, just for you listeners, today is Valentine's Day, uh, a very, very special day. And you on Amazon today are number 44 of all books right in like the universe you're number 44 that is phenomenal phenomenal and you and you actually don't go on sale until tomorrow (laughs) yeah the plant you community has just and i will say even like just the plant-based community in general has just been wrapped their arms around me like i could cry talking about it it's just wild I don't even know what's happening right now, but basically the book is we're in a bit of a weird position with um, with books because so many people pre-ordered that we're at risk of running out of stock in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because of supply chain issues, which are impacting many industries, but particularly the, the hardcover book industry, my publisher isn't going to get new copies in until June, mm-hmm. which means there is a high likelihood that the book is going to be completely out of stock for a couple of months or a few months which sucks, but I am looking on the bright side of the fact that this is just crazy to me. Like I, yeah, I really don't have words. I'm just so, so, so grateful. And I hope people enjoy the book when they get it. Oh, they will. They will. It's amazing. It's amazing. You are, you're beautiful. You're adorable. You're, 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 you're scrappy. I mean, you know, this is, you know, plant you, it's your brand, right? It's you. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's amazing. What a, what a great Valentine's day present for you. Just, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I want to read to everybody the dedicate, the dedication, because I just find it to be hilarious. So you say here for my dad, who survived five straight days of recipe testing vegan oil-free brand muffins with me only to have them never make it into this book. That to me, it just, it shows your, your sense of humor, you know, your perseverance, your obviously your love for your father. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a great mixture. Wonderful. Rick, I got to tell you these, these, 
five, six, seven different rounds of these brand muffins every time, no matter what we were putting in them, they came out of the oven like pucks. Like I, if you have a recipe back there, let me know because the brand I think just sucked up the moisture content no matter what we did. But I just thought like after it, it was just hilarious. So I had to, I knew I was going to dedicate the book to my dad because he really was the inspiration for the journey, but (laughs) I had to pop that in there. Well, listeners, if you guys can help us with a oil-free brand brand muffin, let us know. That'd be great. (laughs) Um, Carly, this has been fabulous. It's great to finally kind of meet you face-to-face on Zoom. And, um, you know, you're getting out into the universe. You're crushing it. You are uh, helping helping people get on board the, the plant-based engine. And, you know, we all know that in 2022, this, I think, is the silver bullet that can really help save humanity, save the planet, save our health, be kind and compassionate to the animals. So, Man, I can't thank you enough for your contribution. I couldn't agree more. And I am just have so much gratitude that you have me on today. And it's truly crazy to me. So I, I appreciate it immensely and to your audience as well for listening. And it's just, uh, it's surreal for me right now. And I'm, I, I really think that just as you said, that the plant-based mm-hmm. movement is going to hopefully be the mover in saving this planet and uh and our health really yep yep the time has come (laughs) all right let's have that puff ball moment right with plants and this planet (laughs) Woo! let's turn into a big puff ball (laughs) all right hey follow uh, repeat after me all right ready peace peace turn it around engine two engine two Keep it plant strong. Keep it plant strong. I love it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. Okay, my plant strong pals. Wasn't Carly just the most authentic ball of adorableness you've ever, ever seen and heard? Mm, Trust me. We're all going to be hearing a lot more from Carly in the months ahead. In the meantime, you can find all the links and resources from this episode on the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. That includes links to the Buy the Book, which is also available in Kindle. And of course, you can join the millions who already follow Carly on Instagram and TikTok. The future is so bright for this one that she better wear shades. Okay, see you next week. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.